This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode 181, recorded Wednesday, October 22nd, 2014. It sure is. Thank you for tuning in once again, everybody. This is our feedback show for Season 5, Episode 2, called Strangers, which we had some you know, fun trying to get Siri to say a couple of nights ago. And uh, people seem to enjoy that Easter egg I put at the end of the episode on Monday, where we I basically played our entire conversation with Siri trying to get her to say Strangers, sending text messages <laughs> back and forth. So <laughs> it was entertaining. Oh, good. To uh, say it, the least, well, I think. Well, it was it was entertaining at the time too. Just trying to fight uh, fight Siri and get her get her to say it and texting back and forth. But eventually, I think it uh, did it work out. Did I didn't listen back to the episode, so uh, did it uh, did it work? I didn't really like her read of the word, but it did kind of work out in the end. Now we had a listener send me an audio clip of him doing the same thing with Cortana, which I think is the uh, voice on. Windows phones, if I'm not mistaken, Microsoft Windows phones. And he basically said, send a text message to the Talking Dead podcast. And nice. Cortana says, sure, what would you like to say? And he re- he says, strangers. And the first thing Cortana does is read it ba- or is speak it back to him. So Nice. Cortana is the, uh, the name of the, uh, the, the computer in Halo. That's the right. Little, uh, the computer lady in Halo. That is absolutely right. And they, since Microsoft owns that, they can use Cortana's voice for whatever they want. Nice. Yeah, good for them. All right, uh, let's get started here. The first thing I'm going to do, Jason, we have an entry in our Record Your Favorite Scene Contest. And as you know, Yay. I really, really enjoy playing these on the air. Now, last time we did this, last year, we did get a few people who sang one of the songs that Beth performed on the show. And we played some of those, and that's what this is. This is a listener who is singing one of the songs that Beth did. In fact, uh, she sang, uh, I think it's a Tom Waits song, In the Prison. This, This one is special, though. It's a little bit different. And that's because this is the first time we've had an entry where it's a man singing the scene, singing the song. Well, this all sounds very exciting. I'm very uh, anticipatory of hearing this. (laughs) All right. Well, here we go. I'm going to play it right now. Uh, It comes from Kevin on the internet. And you know what? I'll just read what he said first. He said, Season 3, Episode 11 sent chills up my spine when Beth sang Hold On by Tom Waits in The Prison for Everyone. My favorite musical artist song on my favorite TV show doesn't get much better. Whenever I hear or sing this song now... I think of that scene and how defeated everyone looked. In typical green family fashion, Beth was there to offer hope in an otherwise hopeless situation. They hung a sign up in our town. If you live it up, you won't live it down. So she left mine in Rio's son. Just like a bullet leaves a gun With the charcoal eyes and Monroe hips 
She went and took that California trip. Oh, the moon was gold and her hair like wind. Said, don't look back, just to come on, Jim. Oh, you got to hold on, hold on. Yeah, you got to hold on. Take my hand, standing right here, you got to hold on. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, you got to hold on. Take my hand, standing right here, you got to hold on. There you go. Thank you very much, Kevin, for that fine entry. That was awesome. That that put brought, brought a chill up my spine. That was uh, that was really cool. There you go. So people like to sing. They like to submit entries of themselves singing. So you can do the same, or you can uh, pick a scene that's not singing and do the dialogue uh, with uh, you know by yourself or with a friend or whatever, and send it in to us. If you do send an entry, there's a good chance we'll play it on the show here uh, as as season five progresses. So uh, you'll hear yourself on the on the show. Unless you don't want to be heard, that's fine. Just let me know when you send it in. If you do, you can send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com or give us a call at 1-844-483-9662. You want, uh, you want my vote for winning? Just uh, teach a parrot to talk and to, well, yeah, teach a parrot a scene and get the parrot to read the scene. That's a really good that, idea. <laughs> that uh, I would vote for that. If, if you can do two parts, yourself and a parrot, you, you pretty much win right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you, if you can get your dog to do it, I'll send you a dollar in the mail. Ooh, there's a deal. If you can get your dog to participate in the entry. Um, we still, uh, yeah, we still choose. We, the winner is chosen actually by our favorite. And if there's an animal involved, that can't hurt. But uh, we'll see. Our favorite becomes the winner for a fancy prize pack. All right. Uh I already I just said the new number, but just in case anyone forgot, we do have the secret phone number for, for you to call in. Um, some people have used it already, which is great. I'm very happy about that. Okay. So uh, if, if you do want to call, remember one eight four four now 483-9662. The old number will be going away soon. So, all right, speaking of feedback and numbers and all that kind of thing, let us get into the feedback for strangers. Now... I do have to warn everyone off the top, I think, that we're going to talk about Bob, and there are a number of similarities between certain things in this episode and what happens in the comic book. So it's you can't really avoid talking about it because it is so similar. So we will be talking about scenes from the comic and spoiling those scenes from the comic. Um, but like I said, it's difficult to discuss what happens in this episode without doing that. So right. uh, I just thought I'd throw the warning out there. And if you haven't read the comic and you are really, really concerned about comic spoilers, then you're going to want to skip the first section of, of feedback here because you might be disappointed. 
Well, it's going to be uh, hit and miss. Did you put all the spoilers right at the beginning, or uh, did did you structure it? Or because we're pretty much going to be spoiling the shit out of all kinds of stuff uh, for the entire episode, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I mean, the, talking about the TV show isn't spoilers, of course. But talking... no, no, but the uh, no, this episode, our episode of the podcast, we're going to spoil the shit out of the comic book for the remainder of this episode. Uh, yeah, mostly for the remainder. Although I did put most of the uh, comic spoilers sort of near the beginning. I kind of I kind of try to order things so that we can group spoilers together and um, you know similar or related feedback from different listeners is is all clumped together. So it's mostly just the first uh, two well, first few I think um, that that would be considered comic spoilers. All right. Well, then uh, to you, the listener that is concerned about spoilers, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, what are we doing? Me first, Jason? Let's yep. kick it off here with a call from Tim in Boston. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Tim from Boston. Um, sorry about the bad audio last week, so I figured I would call on the phone this week. I like the new number. Um, my comment has to do with the end of the episode when uh, Gareth meets Bob. And I wanted to point out that it's very similar to the dialogue that occurs in uh, the comics in issue 63 when the, uh, the hunters, the cannibals, um, encounter Dale for the first time. And the speech that he gives Dale in the comics is very similar to what Gareth says to Bob in the show. It's, uh, it's pretty much ripped from the pages. So that's my comment. Thanks again for the uh, podcast. I really enjoy it. Great. Thank you, Tim. So... He basically, there you go, right off the bat. I mean, Tim is saying, so this scene is right out of the comic book. It is, and thank you uh, thank you for uh, pointing out the actual issue number because I was going to go back and read these, uh, you know, the, the comics around this, uh, this subject matter, and uh, you've pinpointed exactly which ones I should go and read. How, I wrote 63 down. Very good. How else would you have been able to figure out when this these events took place in the comic? I just don't know. Well, there might have been, uh, you know, some flipping through some books. I have all the books, so I'll just flip through them and go, oh, that one. Yeah. That looks like Dale with no leg. There you go. There it is. Yeah. Easy as pie. All right. Next, we have an email from John on the internet. Thanks, John, for the longer email. We pared it down to this. I'm going to call it now. Bob is definitely taking Dale's position in the show. And while, yes, we've already seen the reveal of his missing and chowed down upon leg, uh, what I'm going going with is the actual case where the hunters have now consumed infected meat. All right, so let's talk about this for a little bit, uh, for a minute here. The The idea is that, well, at least what happens in the comic is Dale is bit. He is captured by this group called the Hunters, and when he comes to, he's missing his leg, and he sort of starts to go a little bit crazy and says, you know, the joke is on you guys. I was bit. I was doomed anyways. And you've just infect you've just eaten zombie virus infected meat. So good luck to you. Right. But but how does this work in a world where everyone already is a carrier of this virus? And you know, does that mean anything in terms of eating someone, eating another human being? Because you are, you you already have this virus, but you are still alive. So the virus isn't really activated yet because you haven't died and, and come back i don't know as long as you cook the meat to a minimum internal temperature of 165 to 170 degrees Celsius, uh, fahrenheit uh you should be okay 
So as long as they have a thermometer there and make sure that they uh, they cook this stuff properly, I think they they should be fine. But then how does it even apply in the comic book? Like, is there anything to this you're eating infected meat? Uh, you know, I can see that if, if you didn't, if, if everyone didn't have the virus and then you ate someone that did have the virus, yes, that would be a good way of contracting it. But yeah. since everyone does have it, is that point even relevant anymore? Not really. I, I, I don't see how it's relevant. And I, I don't really see how it's relevant in the comic either because they're all infected anyway in the comic as well. I, I believe so, mistaken. yeah. So, yeah, I don't, maybe it's just a ploy. And maybe, you know, in the comic, Dale doesn't, it thinks that these hunters don't know that they're all already infected. Uh, I forget if Dale knows it at this point, at that point. Yeah. I don't know what's going on in the comic, but in the uh, in this world, in the TV show, uh, they may not know that everybody uh, the the uh, uh, not the hunters. What are they called? They're from uh, terminus termites. Mm-hmm. They may not know that everybody's infected already. So uh, if Bob were to say you're eating infected meat, then it might just be a scare tactic and just you know to watch them squirm, which might be fun. I'd do it. Yeah, totally. I I I think that would be a good tactic, anyways, for for upsetting them at the very least. I just don't see. I just don't see how this this is relevant anymore, unless there is a difference because Bob has now been bitten, if if he has been. Uh, going back to the comic, Dale, we know at that time, was bitten in the comic. So, you know, the, vi- the bite is what gets infected and is what essentially kills you. So is there a difference in the virus activity in your body and therefore in a part of you that's eaten after you've been bitten, but bef- before you're dead, then there would be if you had not been bitten and someone had just come along, chopped off your leg, and eaten it. I I don't know, but maybe that's how it works. Yeah. Like if you are on your way to dying and coming back, even if you haven't hap- even if you're not there yet, maybe someone else eating part of you is just the same as if you were already walking around a zombie and then someone started eating a zombie. I don't think we know. I don't think Robert Kirkman knows. I don't think it matters a whole lot. I think it's just a uh, a device to get drama going. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the actual uh, you know mechanism is for infection. What causes death versus uh, you know them being already all infected? Right. I, I don't think Robert Kirkman really has it mapped out in his head. Well, he, so, I don't know. He might. I mean, he probably has an I- idea, but it's these kind of questions where it's it's a it muddies a little bit, right? You don't you don't know yeah. if post-bite, pre-bite, eating, eating zombies, you know, I, I don't know. It's hard to figure it all out. Or maybe it's all dependent on some kind of uh, random event as well. Like, you know, maybe some people, uh, if they're already infected, they just, uh, they have turned into zombies without actually being bitten at all. That just because they had the virus, they turned into zombies. Some people have to get bitten. Some people can get bitten and they won't turn into zombies. Who the hell knows? You know, the virus might manifest differently in different people. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose it's possible. We don't really have any evidence of, of that. Um, but it seems like everyone who's bit dies and comes back. Everyone who dies, no matter what. Sorry, the bite causes your death. <laughs> if you die from some other means, you still come back. So I, I don't know. It's, right. it's, it's weird. Uh, but let's go on to Angie from Birmingham. And she says... I was truly surprised to see the termites become the hunters. I was expecting the Terminus storyline to replace the hunter's arc, not morph into it. Brilliantly done, and it scares me to say it, Gareth may well be one of my favorite characters. I doubt anyone will ever top him, 
as a villain on this show. Hmm. I think that's a, a fair point. I mean, Gareth, the reason he's so uh, scary is that he comes off kind of friendly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Uh, he, he seems like a very level-headed, s- straight and narrow psychopath, right? Right. And you, you find yourself rooting for him a little bit. You find yourself liking him. Now, even when he's eating Bob's leg, you're kind of like, oh, that's not very good. But <laughs> the way he talks about it, the way he describes it, you're like, yeah, okay, well, they blew up their home and you kind of sympathize with them, which makes him an even scarier villain, I think. Yeah, he is uh, He is a very scary, scary villain and I, I like him as well. Okay. All right, next we have uh, Alex on the internet. I believe that perhaps when Bob was pulled underwater by the walker, he was scratched, not bit. The walker that grabbed a hold of him was very much skeleton-like, and around the hand-arm, it was just bone. We still don't know how long it takes to spread if someone is scratched. I think that the walker scratched him. I think that the okay. I think that the watcher, walker scratched him. It hadn't had time to spread to the rest of his body, and when Gareth and the hunters chopped chopped it off, they saw a scratch, not thinking much of it, or just didn't think it was from a walker and cooked the leg and ate it, causing Bob to be walker disease-free. But the hunters still ate the infected foot and are all eating tainted meat, just like in the comics, but this time with a little twist to the story. Right, so same idea here. Um, Again, it just brings up more questions. Does a scratch, you know, is a scratch good enough to start the infection and kill you off? Um, Do you, you know... It's the same sort of thing. Like, are are they really yeah. eating tainted meat or not? We do know that Herschel was saved by having his leg chopped off right after he was bitten. So they were able to deal with, you know, a leg amputation over a bite from a zombie. And in this case, if the if whatever it is about contact with a zombie that kills you is slowed because it's a scratch and not a bite, then maybe that's why Bob survived for so long after his encounter with the zombie in the water. And maybe the leg amputation actually did occur soon enough to save his life like like it did with Herschel. I don't know. Could be. But I Maybe do... they'll find out that uh, if you get a, a walker bite, all you have to do is pee on it and it'll go away. <laughs> like a jellyfish thing. Exactly. Well, like when uh, Joey Triviani stepped up. Yeah, you just yeah, you just gotta pee on it. Or when you get like a, a hornet sting, you uh, you freeze it with ice. Uh, that's what you do. Yeah, that's right. We ice a lot of things, but sure. Yeah, well, we you know we have a lot of ice up here, but uh, you know down in Georgia during a zombie apocalypse, there's probably not a lot of ice. Yeah, not as not as readily available. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I think the whole, I think if somehow, uh, um, Gareth saved Bob's life by cutting his leg off. I think that is a really interesting twist to the story in any case. Um, yeah. You know, they, they, they're they eating him. They definitely want to kill him. They want to kill everybody, probably. Yet their actions, which they think are... are well, which they think are sort of leading towards their goal, is what saves Bob. I think that's really, really going to be awesome if that's how it turns out. That'd be cool. Okay, our next one is a call from Andrew in Vancouver. Hey, gentlemen. My name is Andrew. I'm in Vancouver. I uh, just started listening to your podcast. Uh, this is the first episode. Uh, this week is the first one I've listened to. Anyways, my theory on Bob and why he was crying, I agree that I think he was bit. Uh, and I think that uh, 
when he was in the church and he was saying goodbye uh, to his girlfriend, um, he uh, he said one more and he gave her a very serious look. And you could tell like he, he was thinking that this is my last kiss. Um, and I think that you could see it in his eyes that he, he knew, but she didn't, that that was it. He was saying goodbye and he was going out into the woods. And I think he was probably going to go and kill himself because he knew that it was inevitable that he was going to turn. And then right when he was getting ready to do it, he was taken out by Gareth. Um, and I think also the fact that they ate his leg might come into it. Like his leg may have been contaminated and those guys may now suffer consequences from eating a contaminated leg. So I don't know. I guess we'll wait and see what happens. But great job. Uh, so far, so good on your podcast. So I'll keep listening. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Andrew. Uh, you're right. I, I believe you. I think you're absolutely right in everything you've said. And welcome to the show. <laughs> yes, welcome to the show. Um, Bob was going to kill himself. That uh, that would be quite something. I mean, I think he did have a gun in his pants when he walked out there. But, I mean, everybody's walking around with a gun in his gun in their pants at this point so i don't know if that means anything but um bob had lost all hope because he knows what's about to happen to him and he walked out there to take himself out i yeah i think i think that's true i think that's a true fact <laughs> all right very good uh next we have uh, alejo on the internet i hope i'm pronouncing your name right i was hoping gareth would offer bob something to eat and then while he was eating he would tell him uh, about the leg only to realize he was eating his own leg Talk about adding insult to injury. <laughs> yeah. Here you go. You must be hungry. Have a bite of this delicious meat we've just cooked up. Oh, by the way, that's your foot. There was a movie uh, where I, I think it was like um, one of the Hannibal, you know, the, the Red Riding, not Red Riding, but uh, there was a movie after Silence of the Lambs where Hannibal, it was a prequel to Silence of the Lambs, and I think think it was Hannibal that was uh, had cut into somebody's skull mm-hmm. and was taking little pieces of brain out and frying them up and feeding to the guy, feeding nice. them to the guy. Nice. Yeah. So uh, that kind of thing shows up every now and again, and it's really, uh, it really is adding insult to injury. <laughs> Doesn't that taste good, all fried with butter? Mm. I mean, anything tastes good fried with butter. It could be cardboard or your own brain. <laughs> yeah, one of the, one of those two probably is a little more appetizing, but I don't know which. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your choice. <laughs> it's right. <laughs> All right, next, uh, Danny from London, UK. He says, the episode was a lot slower than the season premiere, and I was a little disappointed until the last few minutes when Bob was taken. That last three or four minutes with Gareth and Bob were awesome. It was so dark and creepy. The show seems to be going in a new, darker direction with this scene and the throat slashing last week. I hope it continues. As I was watching the episode, I thought to myself, Bob is taking a lot in this episode and has, uh, sorry, Bob is talking a lot in this episode and has a lot more lines than he usually does. Oh crap, he's going to die. Yeah, that's, (laughs) uh, and has a new love interest. That's just the, uh, that's a double whammy right there. Oh, yeah. All the evidence is pointing towards this being Bob's farewell song the other thing is next week or this coming sunday they have announced that there is a surprise guest on amc's talking dead show and that pretty much (sighs) always means that someone is going to die and they're going to be on the show so they can talk about their exit from the walking dead and if i had to guess i think the stooky monster is done for 
Yeah, Bob's dead. He's got uh yeah, he's got more lines than usual. He's got a love interest and even the love interest's brother likes him. Like there's a lot of if she, you know he had a new love interest uh, in Tyrese didn't like him. There's a lot of back and forth you could have there. You could spin that out into you know across multiple episodes. But the fact that he likes Bob and he likes that his sister's in a relationship with Bob, it's just, this is all piling up. He's dead. Yeah, it's it, he's dead. I mean, he's he's come to the forefront. Everything is going good for him, you know, obviously except for the leg thing, but that's the start of the downfall and I don't think it's going to uh end up in a really good place for Mr. Bob. No. No. All right. Next we have uh, a call from Mike in Alabama. What's up guys? This is Mike from Alabama. I think that Bob and Gareth's relationship goes back further than meets the eye. And I think that they know each other from something that happened in the past, possibly at Terminus, like y'all kind of brought up on the last episode. And the reason that I think that is I believe that Gareth has called Bob specifically by name two times. First at the trough at the the premiere, the episode one, uh, and then at the end of, of episode two, he called Bob again by name. Um, and the reason I think that is because in that trough scene at the beginning of episode one, he did call Bob specifically by name, but he didn't call Rick by name. So when Gareth was talking to Rick, it would be logical to say that he would try to control that conversation by throwing in Rick's name a time or two. And I don't remember him doing that, but I know specifically that he talked, uh, Bob, called Bob by name at, at that scene and at the end of scene two. So I really think there's more than meets the eye with those two. And I wanted to see if y'all kind of felt the same thing and, and maybe if uh, we'll learn more about that as we go or if it's something that uh, maybe not so much is going to happen, it'll just be dropped. Thanks, Mike. Uh, so, see, Jason, you're not the only person who thought that maybe there is more to the relationship between Bob and the Terminus people uh, because of the name dropping and and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm 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 hesitant. I'm not sh- I'm not entirely sold that there is something uh, you know more to that relationship, but uh, maybe there is. You know, maybe there is. It, who knows? They did make a point last season of of pointing out that Bob comes from multiple previous groups uh, yeah. now and and eventually got on, you know, on his own and met up with our group. Although, wasn't it that every group he was with, he ended up being like the last man standing? Right. He was, he was the only survivor. And so, obviously, Terminus was still going. So, if he was part of Terminus or he had some sort of... P- past relationship from him that doesn't quite jive up with his backstory that we know right now i mean there could be more to it um but uh we will we will find out i'm still kind of hesitant that there's anything anything um in the past between the two of them i think it's more just you know bob was the one as i said last episode bob was the one who kind of spoke up at the trough and he's what contributed to their ultimate uh you know rescue um in that way and now he's the one who's being eaten, but who knows? We will find out. Could be a whole thing there that we uh, don't see coming. Yeah. Imagine, if you will, that there is a fence. And on one side of the fence, there is Bob knows Gareth from a previous relationship. And on the uh, the far side of that fence is Bob uh, only met Gareth when he was put in the train car. Now, I'm sitting on that fence, just so you know. I'm oh. right on that fence. I'm not, uh, I can't take a position on either side. I'm going to sit on that fence until uh, until something uh, tips me over one way or the other, mm-hmm. and I will fall like hump- Humpty Dumpty, and all the king's horses and all the king's men won't put me back together again. 
<laughs> so something is going to happen is what you're saying. Yeah. Did you know that, uh, just a quick side about Humpty Dumpty, that uh, all depictions of Humpty Dumpty, uh, you know, picture him as an egg? There's nothing in that rhyme that uh, has any indication that he's an egg at all. Uh, he's just Humpty Dumpty. Yeah, I know, but it's it's because it's implied that he breaks apart, and eggs tend to break apart when you drop them. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm just saying, Humpty Dumpty's not an egg. All right. Well, let's see if our next caller, Pam from Australia, has anything to say about that. Hi, guys. It's Pam from Australia. Um, I really enjoyed Strangers. It's typical of Robert Kirkman to have such a dark kind of a show. About Bob um, and him crying, I think um, that was a bit about him realising when Sasha saved him that he's got more to live for. And then he faced his old enemy in the church, and that, of course, was wine. As we know, he's an alcoholic, so he has this real struggle about, you know, someone loves him and wants to be part of his life and amidst all this chaos, and he still has those demons he's trying to fight. I don't think he was bitten in the water. Okay, thanks for the um, great podcast. I keep listening to it, and it certainly got me through those hard months when there was no walking dead on TV. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Pam. That's an, that's another thing we hadn't really brought up at all, is that there's also the, the booze, the wine aspect to uh, to Bob, and maybe he just needed to get away from that for a minute because he was too tempted in the, in the church while everyone else was having a good time. Right. And remember what happened the last time he uh, thought about getting alcohol? Now, all the zombies in the world collapsed in on him in the big stop. That's right. That's right. I mean, alcohol has not been good to Bob in terms of attracting zombies and just, you know, ruining his life. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there is that angle, too. Maybe maybe him being outside had nothing to do with being bit, going to die. Maybe he just needed to get away for a minute. Now, I don't know, maybe take a friend out there to watch your back, but he wasn't thinking straight. No. And, and Pam, if you could call in every week, uh, that'd be awesome because I really like your accent. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. There you go. Oh, that's me. Next, we have a call from Allison in Indianapolis. All right. This Allison, uh, yeah, Allison has a few things to say, and uh, here she goes. Okay, this is Allison in Indianapolis. I had to call back because a few things. First of all, I already had the Talking Dead podcast phone number saved, so all I had to do was edit it. So, And you could possibly get a butt dial or a kid dial. So just saying. Excellent. Second, I noticed at the very beginning of the episode the – credits and one of them was for Chris Coy and that is the person that plays Martin who Tyrese should have killed so I knew he was going to be on there and I recognized him from something else so I had to search for him on the web and that's how I know it was Chris Coy so I saw that I just glanced it glanced and saw that and I thought I wonder why Martin's going to be you know it was a fleeting thought though and then at the very end, at the campfire, that was immediately I said to my husband, there's Martin, there's that jackass. So, okay, and the last <laughs> thing is I listened to the very, very end of this podcast, and your whole situation with Siri, that's exactly what always happens to me. I hate Siri. She's such a bitch. All right, guys, thanks. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you very much, Allison. Uh, good comments on Martin. His name was in the credits, I guess. So uh, yeah. Um, not surprising to see him there. And I just wanted to play a call from someone where they called Siri a bitch. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, Siri we... can be a bitch. Oh, totally, as we demonstrated. <laughs> uh, all right, continuing on the Martin theme, here comes Jack from 
Western Springs, and Jack says they confirmed that was Martin on AMC's Talking Dead. Chad Coleman was on the episode, and he said that Tyrese genuinely thought that he killed Martin. So he will be surprised if he sees him again. Oh, so unlike that, that's a twist I hadn't considered. It, it is. We considered that maybe he was lying about killing Martin, um, or uh, well, that was about it. But if he thought he did, he thought he was dead, and he left him there, then then that explains it. Now, I don't think it really explains why Martin didn't look like he'd had the crap beaten out of him. Um, you know, multiple punches to the face probably leave you bloodied and bruised a little bit, and it didn't look like he was in bad shape around that campfire. But we were getting Bob's sort of blurry coming-to-consciousness perspective. Maybe we just couldn't really see the injuries. I don't know. That's going to be interesting because I, I don't know what, what happened there and why Tyrese, uh, you know, why, how badly do you have to beat someone where you assume that they're dead and then they're not? And then that person gets up and walks around. Like, that really doesn't happen all that often. No, I, so I don't think so either. Was, was Tyrese so mad that he, uh, he accidentally beat up the cooler? Could that be? The baby was in the cooler. If he beat up the cooler, I mean, he'd be in trouble. The baby'd be in trouble. Not at that point. The baby was the baby still in the cooler? All right. Well, let you know. Maybe he beat up a log and <laughs> thought that he was beating up uh, Martin. You're, what you're saying is Tyrese is so um, confused. He is his brain, his mind is so clouded in this zombie apocalypse that he no longer has any grip on reality. And he doesn't know what he's doing when it comes to beating. Not necessarily. Maybe up. he just went berserk. You know, people go berserk. And uh, they go into a blind rage, and they, they don't know what they're doing. They're just beating up anything that uh, comes within arm's reach. You know, logs, coolers, tables, whatever. And, uh, you know, if you punch a log enough, maybe, and it stops moving, then maybe you assume it's dead. <laughs> I guess you probably would. We do know that Tyrese kind of has a berserker mode, you know. Yeah. We, we, we don't really see it on screen much, but he gets surrounded by zombies a fair bit or, you know, amongst the zombies with very little weapons and he comes out of it okay so yeah right maybe he just goes into berserk mode his brain shuts down and he thinks he you know he thinks things that don't really happen well okay so let's think about this berserk mode so it uh, it probably didn't manifest itself until the zombie apocalypse and when you go in the berserk mode in the zom zombie apocalypse uh you you know zombies have very soft heads and usually he has his hammer mm -hmm. uh, so he would smash a zombie move on to the next zombie smash the zombie move on to the next zombie smash a zombie and this gets uh, reinforced time after time every time he gets surrounded by zombies so now he goes into berserk mode when he's beating up martin maybe he just hit him once and then turned around and started beating up other stuff, assuming that the uh, the first target was dead, and that there's, it's time to move on to another target. So I'm going to beat up that uh, that wall, and if there's a fridge over there, I'm going to beat the crap out of the fridge, and <laughs> you know the china cupboard. Who knows? Right. You know we smashed all the china and assumed the china cupboard was dead. So uh, you know it's not necessarily he's a complete idiot and has lost you know uh, his uh, his grip on reality maybe it's just the nature of his berserk mode that he uh he slapped martin once and assumed he was dead you know i think we saw him punch him a few times but i get what you're saying he just he 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 did what he would do if he was under his normal circumstance where he's attacking something he just he hits it just enough and then moves to the next target which in this case happened to be the fridge if there yeah. was if there was one <laughs> I, I don't think there was one but there might have been a china cabinet or something in there I doubt sure. there was a giant cabinet. Who knows? There was, there was other furniture. That's all we're trying to say. 
Maybe he beat the crap out of the furniture. Like he just destroyed the place. And uh, because of that, he assumed that Martin was dead. So when everybody got there and he was outside, if anybody had gone in, Martin would have been standing there alive and the whole place would have been trashed around him. <laughs> That's right. right. And and he stopped uh, he stopped Carol, I think, from going. And he said, don't bother, he's dead. He, she, he did, actually. So that almost leads to the you know the idea that maybe he knows he didn't kill him and he didn't want anyone to go in there and, and verify that fact why right? wouldn't he though like what what what's the problem with leaving but, that guy alive other people have left people alive before i know but well after what was going on at terminus even rick didn't want to leave anyone alive right but everyone else convinced him to i just think they set up tyrese not wanting to kill people and then they present, they gave him this character who really deserved to be beaten to death, um, if if anyone deserves to be beaten to death. And <laughs> they, you know, and then and then Tyrese comes out and he they, he says, "Yeah, I killed him. I could do it." And and everyone, the audience is like, "Oh, good, Tyrese is back. Tyrese is able to survive in this zombie apocalypse. He's not a big wimp like like Martin was telling him." But maybe that's. Uh, you know, maybe that's a a bit of misinformation that we've been fed as the audience. Maybe Tyrese still is struggling with this, you know, this thing in his mind, and uh, he didn't actually kill Martin. He knows he didn't. He, maybe he never even intended to. He just knocked him out and then moved on, and uh, Martin could still be tied up in there for all we know, sitting there wondering what happened. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's kind of weak storytelling if they don't tell the audience that he's uh, he's unable to cope with the zombie apocalypse. Well, I think it would be a better story if we knew that he was unable to cope with uh, cope with this. Well, we do though. They told us these, that he's unable to cope with it, and then they told us that he's better now and he is able to deal with it. I just think sometimes we're fed misinformation, right? Sometimes the audience knows more than the characters. Sometimes we know. The same as the characters, it's rare that we know less, I think, but um, not that's, I mean, sometimes that that might happen. So I'm just saying there could be more to this story. We all assumed he was dead, but then he showed up. I mean, they wouldn't put him in that scene for no reason, and it wouldn't be a mistake. It's it's just, you know, I think, uh, I think that we're going to find out more about what's going on with Tyrese, and we'll be able to project back and figure out what happened in that cabin. Yeah, I think we're being fed crappy, uh, confusing information, and I think it's going to end up being for no purpose whatsoever. Like they shot the scenes out of order, and then they're like, oh, crap, Martin's in that. I, I don't know what they were thinking. Maybe the uh, the writers did one thing, and the editor did the other, did something else, and they went, what the hell was that? And now we got to fix this mess that you guys made? And, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just kind of some kind of weird production miscommunication. I don't know. I'm I'm... I'm hesitant to think that that kind of thing actually ever happens because they have quality control departments. And no, they... but that's that's the whole point of having a director, right? Having one right. guy that's in charge of the whole damn thing so that uh, this kind of crap doesn't happen. Exactly. So, yes, probably didn't happen that way, but I just think it's really confusing. that uh, And why they would do it this way, I have no idea. Okay. Well, we'll find out. Ha- Hopefully yeah, we'll, we'll find, find out. out. <laughs> All right. Next we have uh, Virgilio from the Internet. I have a theory that may explain explain why Martin is around in that final shot of episode two. Oh, good, oh, awesome! After all this, Virgil- <laughs> perfect timing, Virgilio. Yeah, Virgilio has has the answer. Let's hear it. <laughs> For that matter, explains why Gareth, who was shot in the shoulder, is walking around without any need for assistance. 
I believe the cannibals have discovered eating human flesh, infected by the virus, of course, gives people increased ability to recover from injury. It won't save you from a rifle shot to the head or a zombie devouring your face, but it will allow you to recover from multiple punches to the head, Martin, or from a shot to the chest. Gareth. Eating humans gives you a healing factor. What do you think about that? (sighs) It may... Okay, so zombies can take a hit. Like, they can take a body shot, uh, you know, a rifle shot to the chest, and still continue moving. It's not that they've healed from the injury. It's just that it really doesn't have a bearing on their uh, function. No, I mean, their their basic bodily functions are not happening anymore. It's just that they have enough brain power to operate their muscle systems. So they can walk and move and things like that. Right. So this would also explain why Herschel was able to so quickly recover from having his leg amputated. You know, later that day, he was up and walking around. A couple of months later, he had a prosthetic thing that, you know, was developed by magic, and he was walking around with no problems whatsoever. Right. So maybe this uh, infection that everybody has, everybody's already infected, gives you the ability to not give a shit about your injuries as much. So by eating human flesh... Uh, it's not really the level of uh, infection that uh, kills you, gives you the fever and kills you and makes you come back, but it is slightly more than if you didn't eat human flesh. So maybe Martin and Gareth are able to not give a crap as much about their injuries as uh, the regular people that don't eat humans. Well, let me just say that I think there is very little chance that this theory is going to play out on the show that eating eating and inf- eating other humans gives you some sort of uh, ability to heal faster but i do it's think it's not healing it's just not giving a shit i mean i have uh i have what is that uh, that thing that people have where they don't feel pain i don't know but Whatever i guess there is called. a condition yeah i have a mild form of that like i've discovered large cuts on my body only by looking and seeing the blood and wondering where it came from and then washing off the dried blood and going, oh, there's a cut. Right, but that's—I don't think that applies here. Like, um, you may not feel a cut on your leg. That's that's one thing. But these people are actually healing faster. Like you said, Herschel was up and walking around you know, later that day. and No, he just doesn't care about the pain. Right, the the thing that stops you from getting up and around is the extreme agony of standing up. You know, having okay. the blood pool into the stump and going, "Holy crap, that really hurts." I'm going to lie down for a little while. Okay, so I mean, getting better from a, a something like that is in a big part because you're lying down and you're resting and you're not moving. But you're right. saying that if it doesn't hurt, people might not do that, and if they don't. If that doesn't kill them, the act of moving around, they might just be like, whatever. If 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 Garrett or if Gareth was winged in the arm and he was just scratched in the shoulder, I mean, that's not going to kill you just from moving around. And right. if you can't feel the pain, you're no worse off. Well, yeah. I mean, you'd have to be careful about your range of motion. You might rip open the wound sure. and cause additional bleeding and stuff. But as long as you keep it immobile, you're good. Hmm. You know, and Martin getting punched in the face a bunch of times. Uh, you know, maybe he has some bruises and, you know, maybe he broke a cheekbone, but uh, other than that, he's probably fine. You know, if, it does, if there's no f- physical uh, 
impediment to normal life, then, you know, go about normal life. Interesting. Well, I think it's an interesting theory in, in any case that, you know, and what's that going to mean if suddenly eating other human beings sort of, I guess it doesn't really protect you from anything, but it it could help, you know, could help you survive if you need to run away and you can't because you've got a, you know, twisted knee or something, but you can do it because you don't really feel the pain. I mean, it's probably not good for your knee, but uh, you might be able to get away in a sticky situation. Yeah, or maybe maybe humanity's just evolving into a different form now, and you know, it's kind of uh, it went a giant leap forward with zombies, and uh, they're trying to find some kind of middle ground where you actually don't die and walk around, but you're still alive and you're able to take a hit. Interesting. Well, we'll see. I think it's an interesting theory, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, next is Herbert in Guatemala City. And he says, all over the summer break, I wanted to write you guys about last season. I thought it was pretty good, but I didn't feel like the show was taking any chances anymore. I kept telling myself that I was getting kind of bored with the whole find a place, settle down, have place run over by walkers and or whoever the bad guy currently is formula for the show. Then they ate Bob's leg in front of him. I know we all thought they were cannibals, but no one ever knew for sure. So uh, we could give Gareth and his people the benefit of the doubt and pretend that they weren't all that bad. Even last episode, no one ever really confirmed beyond a reasonable doubt that they were eating people. Then they ate Bob's leg with all the subtlety of a nuclear bomb blast. If this season keeps beating its own best moments, then I think we're in for a real treat this year. Yeah, absolutely right. I would agree. I think there's. Uh, I think this season so far, despite thinking this second episode was a little weak, the reveal at the end was crazy shocking, and of course the premiere of season five was um, way out there too, just in terms of uh, everything that happened. It was amazing. I think if they keep this up, it's, it is going to be a real treat. Absolutely. All right. So All right, hold on, have... hold on, hold on. Before oh, we move on, on, one more. Right. Um, I just wanted to take a, a quick break right here in the middle to let people know that uh, we've got a new sponsor sort of, for Ooh. for uh, for this episode and moving forward. Is it my mom? Did she sponsor the episode? Yeah, your mom provided a a, uh, a discount code for her uh, doily <laughs> shop. So if you want to nice. get, if you want to get Mrs. Miles doilies, uh, go to milesdoilies.com. No, I, I <laughs> that's not what it is. Um, yeah. We are working with goldlabel.com, who runs a licensed Walking Dead merchandise store. They have shirts, uh, they've got mugs, they've got uh, stickers, all kinds of actual licensed Walking Dead merchandise. And for the next week or so, you can get a 15% uh, discount on their in their Walking Dead store. If you use the code SHOPDEAD15, that's S-H-O-P-D-E-A-D-1-5. Um, and, uh, you know, there's all kinds of, of really great stuff there. Good t-shirts, uh, you know, stickers, like I said, mugs. It's all original stuff. It's licensed. Uh, there's a really fun, you know, Terminus barbecue shirt, which I really, really like. So head over, head over to goldlabel.com. And when you're checking out, use the code SHOPDEAD15 for 15% off your order. That promo will work through the 25th of October. So uh, only a few more days, but in the coming weeks, we're going to be working with them for additional discounts and uh, some giveaways and some promos and stuff like that. So uh, uh, check them out and let me know what you think. 
thank you to them for their support of the show too by the way great great people over there all right jason you can go on now with our next call all right so the next call is from anonymous <laughs> uh, regarding the uh, plus two hat of compassion that uh, that carl wears here it is hi guys i'm talking um calling in talking about the infamous hat and how important it is about who's wearing it. Uh, of course, you mentioned Carl and Rick as the wearers of the hat. However, you m- missed one very important one. Beth, in the very last scene before the infamous Rick saying that they're messing with the wrong bunch, they're playing that over a slow motion scene flashback of Rick putting the hat on Beth saying, there's a new sheriff in town. I've thought forever that this is of extreme importance and how big of a role that she's going to play in the next season about how big of a hero she's going to be. Uh, that's my listener feedback. I love you guys. Can't wait to hear the next podcast. Bye. Great. Thank you very much, Anonymous. But just uh, remember, everyone, let us know your name and where you're from so we can uh, properly shout you out when we play your call. Shout you out? Is that the way? Is that the proper phraseology of that? Um, I don't see why not. It works for me. Shout right. you out. Um, so yeah, Beth. We don't know what's going on with Beth yet. Uh, Daryl and Carol have gone after her. We we presume, um, but I think they are going to. I think Beth is going to play an important part in this season. I think she's going to have um, an important storyline. Unless she's the one that dies this week and she's on AMC's Talking Dead. <laughs> that would suck. If it, they just, you know, forgot about her for the first two episodes and then she died. It would be so anticlimactic. I would be really upset about that. Um, but do you think, I think episode number three is going to be all about Beth. I don't think we're going to see our other characters at all. Well, we have to remember that uh, that Daryl and Carol are chasing Beth now. Or chasing the car that uh, that Beth was taken in, or a car that was like the car that Beth was right. taken in. So there's some kind of correlation there, and I think that if anybody plays into into the next episode, and if it is all about Beth, it'll be uh, Daryl and Carol. You know what? I take that back. I've seen the previews for episode three, and it is not Beth. It is the people at the church. So we're not going to have an episode with only Beth in it, at least this week we're not. Um, but maybe we'll get a little bit more information about Beth on Sunday night, um, and we'll get sort of a 50-50 episode or something like that. If not, if we don't see Beth at all in episode three, I'm thinking the longer it goes, the more likely we're going to get Beth's governor episode, where it's all about her, and we don't see anybody else at the prison <laughs> or uh, wherever they happen to be at that time, church right. or otherwise. And then she's going to lose an eye and uh, get all pissed off and come back and kill everybody. Uh, let's hope not, because I don't want to yeah. see that happen. I like Beth. I'd like to see her on the show, and uh, yeah, that's right. She, she's cool. Cool. <clears throat> all right, this next email comes from Jenna in Kentucky. You guys were saying it seemed strange and out of character for Eugene to say FUBAR. I disagree. In the premiere, instead of saying, if I die or if I don't make it, he says, when I go red ring as in Red Ring of Death on the Xbox. Anyone who talks like that would most definitely use FUBAR as an everyday colloquialism, especially if he was a gamer that played a lot of military shooter games like Medal of Honor. His uh, 
this would explain this would also explain why he felt comfortable picking up Abraham's gun last season but didn't have the practical knowledge to use it properly and ended up shooting the truck the mullet however is clearly explain, explained by time travel well clearly <laughs> yeah clearly okay so if he uh, if he plays medal of honor uh, or Call of Duty, or any of uh, those military-type games, then uh, FUBAR is probably normal. Well, I can see Jenna's point that he seems to use pop culture, you know, in, in his speech and things like that, like Red Ring. I don't remember that line, um, but I'll I take do. her word for it. I remember it. Okay, so, you know, I can see that. It's I still don't like the line that much, but maybe it's not as out of character as as I... You know, I think it is, and uh, I'll uh, I can I can accept that. Well, as long as Jenna still believes that the the mullet is explained by time travel, then my uh, the my reason for thinking that Fubar is appropriate for a time traveler uh, is still valid. Sure, he's still a time traveler. Sure, if he's time traveling, then uh, anything goes. He may really. not have gone back to World War II, but he's definitely coming from the eighties. <laughs> yeah, right? I suppose you're right. Or the early 90s from uh, where I grew up because we were about 10 years behind the rest of the world in uh, in fashion. And and everything else. Small towns? Oh, yeah, boy. <sighs> All right. So uh, next we have uh, Drew on the internet regarding the markings on trees. And this is very spoilery for the comic and possibly for the show. So be warned. I think it's speculative for the show, but those can sometimes be sort of like spoilers, so. Right. So yeah. Okay. So it's a spoilery for the comic and speculary for the show. <laughs> what you said <laughs> could be could be that they are laying the foundation for future seasons. Uh, maybe the marks in the trees are by Aaron and Eric, who would be re- recruiting. Uh, the ones near Terminus were circles with an X, maybe indicating survivors in this area are bad people and no good for recruitment. Uh, the one near the church was a line, maybe indicating survivors might be suitable for Alexandria. Uh, also, it plays as if it were one of Garrus' people watching the group at night, but could have been Aaron. Uh, Drew goes on to say that maybe he's looking too far ahead, and this is probably too far from Washington. All right, so to to expand on this a little bit, um, in the comic, as our group you know moves towards Washington, they... Uh, they meet up with some people who basically are following them for a while, kind trying to determine if they're the type of people that they would want to invite into their community. And so they're, they are, these other people, Aaron and Eric, are out recruiting people, survivors, for the community. And what Drew is saying here is that maybe that's kind of what we're seeing the early stages of on the TV show that maybe these two characters are out, they came across Terminus, and we're like, nope, you know, we don't think they're good because they bring people in and eat them, and that's not good. We're not going to invite them into our little safe community, so we'll put X's on trees here and kind of, you know, that'll that'll be like our sign that these aren't the people that we, that we want to associate with. Um, the problem with this is, and I think Drew mentioned this in his, his email too, is that... We're still way far away from Washington if, A, the show even goes there, and if it does, you know, we're still in Georgia, which is a long way from Washington. I don't think two characters without any real means of transportation would be scouting people in Georgia, which is like, what, four states away or something like that? 
well, I don't know. Yeah, I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't uh, guess at the geography, but they got to go through South Carolina, North Carolina, um, at least, right? Stupid <laughs> geography. I'm just making myself look stupid. Anyway, if it was Canada, I'd st- I'd be iffy, well, especially should. over in the maritime provinces. But uh, with the, with the states, I got nothing. All right. Well, anyways, it's a long way from Georgia to Washington. And I don't know that these people would be scouting all the way down there. So I think it's unlikely that these signs are from them. But maybe it's something similar. Like maybe these are symbols that mean something rather than laying a trail. Because like you said on Monday, it was definitely a glyph. It wasn't just an X with a circle. It was it, it was a meaningful symbol, right? Yep. And we don't know the meanings of them. But our next email comes from Gayla in Maple, Ontario. And I think she may have figured it out. Oh, cool. She writes, I looked up hobo symbols. A circle with an X in it means safe here, good chance for food. A horizontal line means doubtful. Father Gabriel is hiding something. We all know that. And the termites are not that far, even when uh, they were in Terminus. I think Father Gabe sold out his parishioners to the termites in exchange for safety, food, and protection. He offered false security to families in his parish, and the children drew those pictures, while Gabe awaited his own salvation in the form of the termites' offer of security. They protected him from the walkers. He provided them with food. Remember, there was that whole table of children's toys at Terminus. Oh, jeez. This is just such a a depressing uh, and horrific theory, but I like it, and I think it's actually pretty plausible. Yeah, I'm I'm not entirely sold on it. I think that uh that Father Gabriel uh I think rather than being malicious and actually selling uh, his parishioners for safety, uh I think maybe whatever he's hiding is probably just a result of paralyzing fear. You know, locking himself up in his church with all his canned goods and uh, not letting anybody in. Whatever happened outside that church is was not his business. He was just afraid. Yeah, but I think I think that kind of feeling could lead to doing something like this. He probably feels terribly guilty about it. Um, but you know, he could have been threatened. He could be afraid. He could have no other recourse but to but to work with the termites. It's like either we eat you. It's either we eat all of you, or you can live if you become kind of a a feeder system for people towards terminus and if we if you do like send everyone who comes to your church send them to terminus we'll strip them and eat them and provide you with food and supplies if you keep doing this for us i mean it's kind of a no-win situation for him but he would have had to have you know made the choice somehow I think it's an interesting theory. I just I can't seem to get on board with it. I don't know. I like it. The other end of it is, um, you know, maybe when he was out in the woods, he didn't know yet that Terminus had been overthrown, and he didn't know that the people who rescued him from the zombies were the ones that overthrew it. So uh, maybe he was bringing them to the church with the same intention of, you know, of buttering these people up a little bit and then being like, all right, I know this safe place. You guys should go there. And if he wow. if he does that all of a sudden, I mean that's pretty revealing. And Rick will turn around and be like, "I can't believe you just said that." <laughs> you know, <laughs> it could be. It could be. I, I like I say, it's a very interesting theory. It'd be interesting to for it to play out. I just for some reason I'm I'm not buying it. Okay, we'll see. He's got something all to right. hide though. Oh, he's definitely hiding something. Yeah. 
definitely, definitely. All right, next, uh, Chris in the UK. I think your analysis of the scene in the basement was way off. Specifically, I think you admit, omitted a rather significant consideration, and it's a common mistake when analyzing this show. What I'm talking about is desperation. They need that food. They don't just want it, they need it. Their practical alternative to going into the basement is likely starvation. And it's not just food that they're short of, it's lack of ammo too. Not to mention the general principle that you only sh uh, only shoot as a last resort because it tends to attract walkers. I do agree that it's not ideal, but the limitations that you mentioned apply equally to the walkers. They have no special powers to move in the water. Uh, if you want to find fault, I'd not so much go with the decision, I'd go with the massive likelihood of infection. Not zombie infection necessarily, but plenty of nasty other stuff. But then again, what's the alternative? They've got to eat. Yeah, I get Chris's point here, but I don't buy it at all. I don't think there is any good reason to go into that zombie soup without first trying to do something to um, at least thin the numbers of zombies in there. They're not going to starve to death in the next hour that it takes to, to figure something out. And maybe they don't have to shoot them because, fair enough, that'll attract other walkers in the area. But the first thing they do when they walk into that room is like, we're going down in there. And, you know, they're not starving to death. Um, that's, that's, that's one of the things that I think I can, I just have to, you just have to put past with this, with this show. In real life, yeah, food would be a serious, serious concern. And it is on the show too. But if all the show was about was finding food, it would be super boring. Um, and I don't, think that the group really is at a point where they're desperate enough to just jump into the flooded basement with 12 or whatever walkers in there and think they can just do it. Not only that, but you don't know what's under the water, as Bob learned. So I, I don't buy it. I think you take at least a little bit of time to try and clear them out some other way before you jump in there. And fair enough, it's a TV show. If they showed every little thing like that, maybe it wouldn't be as exciting. But I'm sure there was a way, some way they could have written around that or or something, you know, to just to just show a little bit more hesitation before they were so happily jumping in the water. You've played Left for Dead, right? No. Only You've well not played the, like not the video game? Like for two minutes or maybe not even that long. I might have watched you play it for a few minutes. I don't know. Alright. Well when you're running around in Left for Dead, every once in a while you're in a building and there's a hole and you're pretty sure that there's zombies down that hole, but you have to jump in. Because there's no other way to get around it. You just got to go into the hole and hopefully you can uh, deal with whatever down there. Right. So that, that's what what they did. They went, okay, there's a hole. It's full of zombies. That's fine. Uh, they came up with a plan to deal with the zombies in the hole. So they jumped in the hole and, and dealt with it. And then the priest panicked and they had to deal with that. And then uh, Bob found the uh, the trash compactor monster under the water. But it's the same thing. Like in the video game, there's no other option because the creators of the game don't, don't give you, the player, any other option. But And in the TV show, the writers didn't give these characters any other option when they, they had the opportunity to do so. But they took the... I don't want to say lazy. It's not laziness. It's It's... It's what's best for TV kind of thing, right? At least in this right. case, that's what they thought. But I think they could have done better and um, and just made it, added a tiny bit more realism to it. And and I, I say that with a grain of salt, knowing very well that this is a zombie show and I'm asking for realism. Right. Oh, well, 
There you go. Yeah. Uh, Matt from New uh, from South Wales Valleys, though, has more to say on this. And he says, with the walkers uh, in their watery hideout, I feel there is no need to physically go down there straight away. I've often thought through the series, haven't these people ever heard of a spear? It would be an ideal weapon, admittedly not in all circumstances, but perfect for this situation and others before, especially here where they could literally stand around the edge of the hole stabbing away like happy fishermen until most, if not all, the walkers are dead again. Or go find a big magnet and uh, clip onto the cans and pull them up. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, that that never occurred to me, but sure, why not? All I'm That saying, doesn't work with toilet paper, though, just saying. No, it does not. Uh, all I'm saying, and Matt puts it well, it's like there are other options. And, and I know, standing around spearing zombies might not have been that exciting, but they could have actually shown them try something like that and show it not work. And, and then it doesn't work, so they're like, oh, all right, we're running out of daylight. We, you know, whatever, whatever, we got to get in there and we got to do this now. I just think there might have been a better way, desperation aside. Well, you know, maybe they're thinking, uh, we don't have time to make spears. We've only got 44 minutes before this uh, this whole plot ends, so uh, we got to get on with this. So that's what so they just... have to communicate to us as the audience. We don't have time to make spears. We don't have time to strap Glenn, you know, into a rope and lower him down so he can punch the zombies in the head. We don't have time for any of that. We have to go in now. That's right. I, I would have been okay, a little more okay with that, but they didn't. It's just... Somebody said, we can use the shelves to block them, and I think it was Sasha, and Rick goes, Sasha, that's a good idea. Let's go. And it's not a good idea, and that's the problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Uh, who's next? Me? Yeah. Uh, so we have uh, Michael from London. I've noticed that there is a real lack of concern when it comes to Beth and her disappearance. Daryl said in episode one that she was taking, taken, not that she was killed, and I think uh, he said something about she's still alive. In episode two, after the fallout from Terminus and everything is calm again, not one person, not even Maggie, thinks, uh, you know what, maybe we should go start looking for Beth. Daryl only gets excited about finding her again only after he spots the car and seems to jog his memory of her kidnapping. Oh yeah, Beth. Uh, do you think the writers are being lazy here or are they keep uh, keeping her under the radar for a reason? You know, again, I don't really like using the word lazy because it implies that the writers are not caring about their job and obviously they are 99.9% of the time they do a great job um, so no not laziness at all but I do think there is a little bit of a failing in the storytelling that as um, as Michael said you know everyone's sitting around in the church and they're having a party with the wine and so on but and, and nobody, and including Maggie, especially Maggie's like, okay, Daryl, we need to talk about Beth. What did you see? Which way were they going? Um, do you think you know where they are? Do you think they're within reach from here? Maybe we should go looking for her. Let's set up a search party first thing in the morning. And I think that would that would happen. And we're just not seeing it on screen. Yeah, that's true. Or maybe they just really don't give a shit. Uh, the, the characters or the writers? Uh, the characters. They just don't care about Beth. Yeah. yeah, Beth is gone. What you know? We're in a po an apocalypse here. People die, people get lost. Whatever. Yeah, I know. It's uh, some characters may feel that way, but your your family probably never would. That's the thing. So we just needed that conversation. We just needed, even if it wasn't with um, Maggie and Daryl. Maybe Maggie's sitting around with her husband, saying, "God, I 
I'm really upset about Beth. Like, what do you think we should do? You know, that's that's all it would take. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe Glenn's just saying, shut up. She doesn't matter. <laughs> We're here. That's all that's important right now. <laughs> yeah, don't forget about her. She's gone, man. All right. Uh, next, we've got Paul in Ellesmere Port, UK. And Paul says, with regards to your conversation about the watch and timekeeping in the Walking Dead universe, I initially tended to agree. Although then I was thinking about scouting parties or supply runs, etc. I think it would be very handy to say things like, if we are not back in two hours, come looking for us, or let's meet at X or Y at three o'clock. For these reasons, I think a couple of the group wearing some type of timepiece could be invaluable. And just to uh, reinforce that, we actually had a bunch of people write in and say, um, having some sort of way to tell time and coordinate yourselves would be is the biggest reason to continue uh, continue keeping track of time. I'll buy that. So or everybody could learn uh, Casey at the Bat and just say, okay, if I'm not back in seven Casey at the Bats, then uh, come looking for me. I have no idea what you're talking about. Casey at the Bat. It's a poem. I don't the outlook know. wasn't good for the Mudville Nine that day. The stores score stood four to two with but one inning left to play. No, I don't know that. When uh, Murray you, died at first and Barrows did the same, a sickly silence fell upon the patrons of the game. You don't have to do the whole poem. Uh, it's not going to help me remember it because I've never heard it Come before. Come on, man. Go look up Casey at the bat. <laughs> All right. Maybe I will. Uh, anyways, I think keeping track of the time in some way is probably useful when you have a group like that. If you're all by yourself, maybe not. Um, but uh, good points by everyone who wrote that in, I'd say. Yeah. I had to learn Casey at the bat in grade school. <laughs> the whole class had to learn it. It must have been a small town thing. Yeah, it must have been. Although my teacher, his name was Mr. Hornblower, so take that with a grain of salt, too. <laughs> he blew a lot of horn, did he? Uh, he sure did. All right, so uh, next we have Angela in St. Louis. I believe, believe most of the children's pictures at the church were related to the plagues referenced in the Moses Exodus story. But apoc uh, very apocalyptic, but pretty standard fare for Sunday school lessons. So maybe they just meant nothing. They were just pictures drawn by kids over time at the church, and that's that. I, In case you haven't noticed, everybody, I'm not that much of a church guy. I have never really been a church attender, even though my parents... Um, went to church occasionally as, uh, you know, when I was growing up, but I really don't know my Bible. So, um, yeah, that's, that's where I stand on this. But if, if Angela from St. Louis says that that's sort of standard Sunday school stuff, then, uh, maybe it really just means nothing. Uh, yeah. And I've never been to Sunday school, but so I don't know about, uh, drawing apocalyptic pictures to celebrate our Lord. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, that's, that's the, that's lesson number one, right? Celebrate the so. Lord by drawing a picture of uh, whatever this apocalypse is. Okay. Well, the First Testament, uh, the First Testament is full of that stuff. Right. Well, I've, I haven't yeah, read that either. Should. Okay. I'll uh, put Just that for on, fun. Put that on my list. Uh, can you get the Bible on Audible? Oh, probably. All right. Well, there you go. If you want to read the Bible, you could probably walk into uh, walk into a church down your street, and I'm sure somebody in there will read you the Bible for free. I'm not so sure they have that kind of time. But if you want to get the Bible, I don't know if it's on Audible, but go to audibletrial.com/talkingdead and get the Bible. <laughs> Maybe I'll look that up right now. Maybe I will do it. Okay. Brad of the Dead writes in, and he says, "In the cold open, Abraham says that there is why we are waiting for our moment." in reference to Michonne's inefficient disposal of a walker. 
Do you think he was unimpressed with her lack of killing ease, or do you think he feels their lack of a mission is a waste of time, or worse, putting Eugene in danger? So this was kind of a bit of a throwaway line, I thought, in the episode, but it referred back to when they were all around the cabin in the last episode at the end, and he said, you know, we'll wait for our moment to talk to him. Um, now, he's had that moment. He did the toast at the church, and, and he convinced everyone to go to Washington. But uh, yep. what the point is, what was he trying to say about Michonne killing that walker when she reached for her sword, didn't have it, and then used the butt end of the rifle? Anything? I think it was uh, they're fighting the zombies instead of just running. We should just be running. Our entire goal should not be ridding the world of zombies, but getting the hell out of here and getting to Washington. Because we have a better way to rid the whole world of zombies, and that is cure it in Washington. Yeah, by by you know doing that, by engaging in uh, in everyday life of killing zombies or dealing with whomever you run across in this uh, in this world, uh, you're taking away from our greater goal of getting the F out of here and getting to Washington. Okay. I, I like that. I can see that. Just keep moving and, uh, and, and you know, we got to get this done. So why waste our time on one zombie on the side of the road? Yeah. All right, cool. All right. So next, uh, the next two emails are regarding silencers and uh, my, uh, my comments about uh, silencers. I'm just going to read them both here. Okay. So Mike from Cincinnati, uh, silencers or suppressors, uh, Full auto weapons and short-barreled rifles uh, rifles are all considered Class Three weapons in the states. They are not illegal, but are not easy to get. You have to fill out an application for the feds and pay a fee. And if you get approved, then you have to go find a dealer that can sell them. That's the easy part. Uh, most rifles and handguns can be fitted with a suppressor, and more and more are coming ready for ready for one. I could no, uh, I can go on longer, but for your sake, I won't. Uh, there are many things that bother me when it comes to weapons handling, handling in movies and TV shows, but this one wasn't one of them. And then Lee on the internet, uh, silences, silencers are indeed legal in multiple states and threaded barrels are extremely common as compensators are legal everywhere. As far as I knew, uh, know, they use the same threading. That said, silencers are for a certain caliber and would need to be matched accordingly. What the hell is a compensator? I that I don't know. Um, but <laughs> as as everyone knows, we're as me especially not really uh, up on my gun knowledge. You you know a little more than me, but clearly not enough to because you assumed silencers were illegal in the states. They are super illegal in Canada. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, super illegal. Um, yeah, yeah. I I I would have guessed that to be honest, and I would have been with you. I would have guessed that that kind of thing would would have been illegal in uh, for the public to own in the states too. But the U.S. sometimes surprises me with uh, things like this. Yeah, in in Canada we have uh, three classes of weapons. I think they are they're the long guns, so shotguns and rifles, which uh, recently got. Uh, downgraded to anybody can purchase. I think that might change after today's events. Uh, there's uh, restricted weapons, which are handguns and some, uh, like anything that's uh, that looks mean. It's really kind of weird. If it's a handgun or it looks mean, it's, it's uh, restricted. And then there's prohibited, which uh, you cannot get a license anymore to purchase prohibited weapons. And that's anything that is full auto or, uh, or anything like that. Right, right. Um, so, or a silencer or a machine gun or a rocket launcher or a grenade. Those are all like way 
super illegal in Canada. Right. You, you not even have the, you don't even have the opportunity to purchase one unless you are the government and you're the military and then you can buy everything yeah. you want. Military and police and that's it. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Um so having those silencers in in um in that store or suppressors, I should say, are is is actually probably pretty common in Georgia and nothing we should worry too much about. Yeah, okay. So in terms of this uh, show. just happens to be uh, the problem with watching an American show about that has lots of firearms in it uh, from Canada. Yeah, I mean, a few other people wrote in about this too, and you know, not everyone is super nice <laughs> when they tell us that uh, you guys need to stop talking about guns because you clearly have no idea what you're talking about. And I've never really claimed to have any idea, but I do have to sometimes go with my gut and think that you know maybe those wouldn't be so easy to come by. But uh, in this case. We were wrong, so sorry about that, everyone. Yeah. Uh, really, right. they were mean when they said, don't stop talking about guns? Well, it's not. I, I don't mean just this time. Like, we've, over the years, you know, guns come up and weapons come up a lot because of the nature of this show. And every time we speculate on something and get it wrong, which is most of the time, people are not really afraid to, to let us know, which is fine. I don't mind being well, corrected. That's, that's good. That's good. Not yeah, we all. really honestly don't know shit about guns. No, no, we, we really don't. Um, and uh, but and so, you know, if you feel the need to, to let us know, that is great. Just once in a while you get someone write in and say something like, you know, you guys are idiots, you should not talk about this. I'm like, well, we're going to do what we're going to do. But I suppose that's fair too, yeah. So there, there is no, uh, there is no guarantee that uh, we know what we're talking about just because we're talking. <laughs> Never made that guarantee, that's for sure. Uh, all right, finally, John from Rhode Island writes in. I think Carol was trying to leave the group. She wants to be alone or find another group that doesn't know her, so she doesn't have to talk about what she did. Um, and being around people she knows only makes it harder to keep secrets. She tells Tyrese she just wants to forget what happened. And she tells Daryl she's not talking about what happened. She also tells Rick that he was right when he said she could survive on her own. She seemed to have no problem with that. She also told Tyrese last episode that she wasn't staying at Terminus. So the bottom line here is there's a lot of telling of things to other people, and it all seems to indicate that Carol might want to get away from this group. So when she went out to that car and got it running, I think... There's a little more evidence that um, that she was actually intending to leave, not just going to check out the car. Right. You well, know? that could be, but she won't. Like, there's no way, right? No, not now. I mean, if she's instrumental in rescuing, well, I shouldn't say rescuing Beth, because we don't really know what Beth's situation is, right? All we know is that she's somewhere from that Comic-Con trailer that we saw, and things don't necessarily look that great for her, but we don't really know. So um, let's assume, though, that Beth needs rescuing if carol is in some way instrumental in that with daryl she will have now been part of the main rescue of everybody from terminus and the sub rescue or the secondary rescue of of beth from wherever she is carol's gonna come out looking pretty good and maybe she's gonna decide to stay with the group after that instead of hitting the road yeah i think beth uh, beth's situation is going to be much like uh, rorschach in uh, the watchman uh, when Rorschach gets arrested, it's like, no, you don't understand. I'm not, I'm not stuck in here with you. You're stuck in here with me. <laughs> I think Beth is going to kick some ass, and those people are going to be sorry that they ever laid their hands on her. 
Maybe, maybe Beth is not the little girl she was back in season two, or the little teenager, maybe. I, she she has grown up a lot, and uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'm, I'm really, really anxious to get to the Beth storyline. Um, you know, they teased it at Comic-Con, and they haven't given us anything since then. So I am really looking forward to finding out what's up with her. And, and most importantly, she is not wearing the hat of compassion. Not right now. Nope. Not right now. So, uh, yeah, she's going to kick some ass, I think. Yeah. And then when she comes back, they'll have to give her back the hat so she uh, turns into nice Beth again. That's right. Good. All right. Thank you so much to everyone who wrote and called in. This was a bigger than average uh, feedback show. We'll, of course, be back next week when we recap uh, Season 5, Episode 3, which, if memory serves, is called Four Walls and a Roof whatever that refers to. Sounds like the room I'm in right now. Sounds like a house. Yeah, somewhere to be indoors. <laughs> um, yeah. Who knows, though? We'll see what that means in the context of the episode. Uh, I'm going to be in California on the weekend, so our podcast may come a tiny bit later than usual, but we're going to try our best to get it out on Monday night, just like we do. But if something happens, like my plane is delayed on the way home on Monday, then uh, you never know what might happen. But let's go with the assumption right now that everything will be fine, and we'll be recording a podcast next Monday evening, um, just like we normally would. So if you see me walking around California, say hi, um, and I will say hi back. That sounds like a great deal. It does. I'm going to be there from Friday night to uh, Monday morning. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely looking forward to the weather. I looked up the weather for the weekend, and it looks like it's going to be hot and sunny, which it always nice. is in California. It's California. Oh, man, such a, such a great place. So um, that should be fun. Uh, until then, if you want to get in contact, of course, you can call the secret zombie line. It's 1-844-483-9662. You can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead, or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. Finally, you can also send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com, or if you want to, go to the website and click send voicemail. You can also get us on there. Uh, thank you to goldlabel.com for helping bring this episode to you. If you want to take part in that, uh, for a few more days until the 25th, you can get 15% off at their store by using the promo code SHOPDEAD15. And like I said, we'll be having more sort of giveaways and sweepstakes involving them in the coming weeks. So uh, look out for those. Um, and of course, you can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thetalkingdead. Or the simplest and easiest way probably is to use our Amazon link by going to amazon.talkingdeadpodcast.com before you do all your shopping. Um, we have no idea what you buy but we do get a small cut of, of the purchase. So that's a really, really easy way to help us out, and it doesn't cost you anything more. Finally, before we go, just remember to send in your entries for our Record Your Favorite Scene contest. We do have a couple in now. It's been a little bit of a slow start, I must say, on the, on the contest. I think we got more up front last year, but it's okay. It's okay. We've got all season to get through it. So uh, get those in. You can email them. You can call them in. You can record yourself on your phone and send me the audio file. That's probably the best way because of the sound quality, uh, but we look forward to getting all those and playing some of them on the air and then choosing our favorite for a big fancy prize pack at the end of the season. But I think that is enough of me rambling on. So uh, until next time, everybody, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thank you so much for listening.
Bye.